to pour his spirit out. So don't, don't be surprised when he does it. That's what we just sang about. You just told him you wanted to do this very thing. So I believe he responds to our faith. Right now, well, there's, there's still a great spirit of worship. I want to bring a need before you right now. And that's Sister Galen Padgett, or Sister Jalen Padgett, I'm sorry. Um, Sister Jalen Padgett, uh, dealing with her, she's been dealing with a lot of things. And um, I know they're probably watching online right now. And, uh, and she had a miscarriage, unfortunately, which is a very, very difficult thing for anybody that's experienced a miscarriage. And, um, and then on top of the miscarriage, Sister Jalen went in and uh, there was an issue where uh, the baby was in her tube and had to have an emergency surgery at 11 o'clock last night. Um, and so I just told them that we would hold them up in prayer here today because that's a lot to go through at once, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. And so we just want to pray for them right now. And, and if there's anyone else here that um, you need something, Maybe we don't get the chance to talk about exactly what it is, and maybe nobody, maybe you don't even want anyone to know what it is, but you could just go like this right now, and not only to let someone around you know that you want to be prayed for, but also as a sign of faith to just go, Lord, I'm going to raise this hand up, believing that you are capable of handling my situation, God, and so I bring this to you in faith, believing, but we want to pray for Sister Jalen right now and for their entire family. God, we just, right now, as we see hands up around the sanctuary, God, we pray for people watching online, too. Lord, I pray, Lord, for Sister Jalen. God, that you would be with her. Oh, mighty Savior. Lord, we know that she and Brother Chris and their family have suffered loss, God, and things that they're going through right now, Lord Jesus, that are painful, Lord, not only physically, but emotionally. Maybe even faith is being tested. Lord, I pray, just encourage them right now. Let them feel the loving arms of Calvary, Lord, wrap around them and provide peace and security and love and compassion in their lives and in their situations right now, Lord Jesus. God, there are many even more needs here today, Lord. Father, I feel in the spiritual realm just a burden, Lord Jesus. I feel, Lord, that there are, God, people here who are carrying in just weights. Lord, I pray, let them, Lord, as they raise their hands in the air right now, let them feel a freedom. Let them feel, Lord, just a healing, a deliverance, Lord God. Lord, the burden that they carried in, Lord, that they would be able to take that hand openly and just say, I'm going to put this in your hands, Jesus. God, we might not have answers to our situation. We don't have answers to our circumstance, but we know that you do, Lord Jesus. And so we take our situation and we, in faith, put them in your hands going, Lord, you can handle this. And you know, Lord, the beginning from the ending, you are the Alpha and the Omega. And so we not only entrust it to you, but we know that you Lord Jesus, have the foresight to know how things will end up and what we need, what needs to happen in our lives in the process, God. And so we entrust all of it to you, Jesus. Lord, I pray for 
Lord, every need, Lord Jesus, every person that is dealing with one of those things right now, let, let they would set it in your hands and feel deliverance, healing, strength, peace. In your name, oh God. In your name, Jesus. In your name, oh God. In your name, oh Lord. God is so good. God is so good. God is so good. I know the pageants are watching. We love you. We'll continue to hold you up in prayer. Praise the Lord. Will you may be seated. Thank you for responding to the beautiful presence of the Lord God. If you're a guest here, we're thrilled that you have chosen to worship with us. Yeah, that's fine. If you're a guest here, we're thankful for you. If you're a guest online, we look forward to maybe meeting you one day in person, but we pray that in the meantime that you enjoy the live stream. And uh, we have translation options available if English is not your first or most comfortable language. And uh, we just want everyone to hear and experience what we're feeling and experiencing here today. Amen. Well, we have a few things coming up, and the 4th of July is coming up, and we're having a 4th of July party on the 3rd of July, so that is at the Munoz residence, and the event is at 6 p.m., and Sister Mu Michelle Munoz, she's going to come up here, and she is in charge. No, she's not. She's going to send her husband to do it. Okay. Well, uh, she's in charge of special events and church fundraising, so any fundraising ideas. We don't want to have 14 fundraisers at the same time. Um, we're not rich enough for that, uh, and it gets a little bit too much, and so she's in charge of church fundraising. Fundraising goes through her, but um, she has an idea for an announcement, and she's going to have her husband make that right now, so come on. Yeah, I'd be surprised if she came up here, huh? But, so like he said, we do have the uh, 4th of July party coming up on the 3rd, which is a week from Monday. And uh, we want to make sure that you guys all please, please sign up. You should have received a text and this on the Church Center app and stuff like that. There's two places. One of them, the Church Center app, you signed up to see how many people are coming. But then there's a text that went out with the meal train so you guys can help with, you know, bringing food or helping things get set up and stuff. Because last year we had about 200 people. This year we're expecting even more people to come. Because I don't know if you guys haven't been there, but we all have a great time and everything. So please pull up that app, sign up on both places so that we know you're coming and what you're bringing so we know what we need to provide for everything else. We don't have a whole lot of time left, and we need to know what we need to still provide and get ready for that day. Make sure you bring some lawn chairs or something to sit outside because um, the party, I mean, we're going to have five of the food inside, but the, most of the party is going to be outside. It's outside activities. It starts at 6. We'll be eating around 7 o'clock. So please, if you're going to be there and you bring something, be on time so we all can eat at the right amount of time and everything, okay? Uh, we're also going to uh, be providing... Uh, Fireworks for sale for young people, for the young kids. We have grab bags that you can uh, buy really cheap, and we have regular fireworks. If you want to do your own thing, we'll have them from now on until after the season. If you want to take them home, do whatever you want to do, 
that's fine. But once we start the show at dusk, we ask you to stop all your other stuff, fireworks and stuff, and all the kids be with your parents so everybody is safe. We want to make sure everybody's safe. We want to make sure the property is safe. We sure nothing catches on fire. Nobody gets hurt. Okay, so please, parents, if you got little ones, watch your kids. We can't be watching your kids. It's not a free-for-all thing, okay? Uh, also, we do have a barn that is full of explosives. It has fireworks. Don't shoot on that side of the area. Don't go up there because we don't want something happening. And then we have a, an amazing show for a little while. All right? So uh, if your kids want to go in there and get, buy more stuff, just please have a parent to go up there with them. Somebody will be there watching and stuff like that, but we just want you guys to be careful. You know, we all want to be safe, and we all want to have a good time, okay? Also, uh, right after church, Pastor talking about fundraising, there's going to be a meeting for those uh, kids going to Congress, a meet downstairs for a great fundraising idea, because we don't have a whole lot of time for Congress, so we'll meet right after church in the youth room, so please, if you want to if you need money for Congress, which all the parents say amen, because we do, uh, please meet downstairs right after church, okay? Thank you. Praise God. <laughs> Brother David, I don't know if you heard, you got to stay by your mom. I don't want you, she's going to get hurting yourself with the fireworks, so. I'm just kidding. He always helps Brother Caesar with the fireworks each year. Him and Brother Caesar, this is what they were born for, I believe. <laughs> so. We have two quick congratulation pieces. Um, we, as you all know, we are in, you know, nearing the end of our second stewardship campaign, uh, and we appreciate everyone's faithfulness to that because each dollar that you're putting in that was your commitment to the Lord is being saved, and so it's not, I assure you, it's not in vain. We are not spending it on other things. It is being saved and gaining interest until we find that next location. And so it is, I promise, it's not in vain. This is what's allowing us to enter into financial conversations and put us in a, in a really good financial spot to enter into some of these discussions. And so uh, I appreciate everyone who's willing to, again, see that through to the end. But anytime someone does that, we celebrate because it's a great accomplishment when someone has stretched and then they complete their pledge, and that's exactly what happened. Sister Abigail Potker, this last week, she completed her stewardship campaign pledge, and we are thankful for that. And then I and my wife and several other people, we had a district conference for the Missouri District, our organization that we're a part of, and each church is autonomous. Nobody comes in here and tells us what we need to do or anything like that. We have a church board. We're self-governing. However, we're a fellowship of ministers, and so we associate with the United Pentecostal Church International, which in spite of any flaws that any human organization might have, I believe it's the greatest organization on the face of the earth, and I'm thrilled to be a part of it and uh, they gave out some awards and they licensed some people and, and did some things but this church out of 191 works in the state of Missouri uh, save our children offering we were the 15th highest out of all of those and and for Christmas for Christ which goes to help plant new churches uh, we were number three out of 191 works. So 
Congratulations to I go there and they can me gifts and stuff, but you, this is this is us, this is what we get to celebrate. But there was one other great piece of information that I want to share with you that we get to celebrate. And that is that the Missouri District United Pentecostal Church International has approved someone for a local ministerial license. And we want to congratulate Brother Rich Huey. Yes. So everyone, all the kids in children's ministry, make sure you give them a high five or a fist bump after church today and tell them congrats for being a licensed minister in children's ministry. And well, he's a licensed minister, period, but he works in children's ministry. That's where he feels called. And we're, we love the Huey family. Well, Rock Church, you're dismissed. Go have a wonderful time downstairs. Well, today we are, I don't do a lot of series teaching on Sundays. I, I typically will do that on Wednesday nights, Principles for Life. But God has really, for several months, has been laying on my heart about dealing with a very relevant but sensitive topic. And so um, I even thought about sending out an email to just give everyone a heads up about this topic. But if you think, well, I don't need to hear this, then you might not have come today. So it kind of tricked you. Um, but I think every one of us needs to know about the information that we're getting ready to cover. And I think where we need to start is with love. You know, Jesus debated issues, but much more. He loved people. All kinds of people came to speak to him during his time on earth. The religious insiders, the socially excluded, the handicapped, the undesirables, the rich, the poor, the young, the old, those whose lives had been messed up by others and those whose lives had been messed up by themselves. And Jesus loved every single one of them. He made time for them. I would argue that Jesus respected them. Respect does not mean you agree with everything that someone does. But he loved them, especially those who came to him hurting. At a time when the Pharisees were plotting to kill Jesus, look what Matthew writes in Matthew 12, 15. Jesus knew what they were planning. So he left that area and many people followed him. He healed all the sick among them, but he warned them not to reveal who he was. This fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah concerning him. Look at my servant whom I've chosen. He's my beloved who pleases me. I will put my spirit upon him. He will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not fight or shout or raise his voice in public. We could probably preach a whole message just on that. Last week was Father's Day. I probably could have used that passage last week too, but we'll move on. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. Finally, he will cause justice to be victorious, and his name shall be the hope of all the world. Jesus' plan was always to be the hope for everyone. 
Even those who are weak, he's your hope. To those who are broken and hurting, he's your hope. Jesus does not intend to let any struggling person crumble or collapse under the weight of their struggle. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, he says, Come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm gentle and, and I'm humble at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. If you, if you walked in with a burden today, you don't have to walk out with it. Okay? You can put it in his hands because if we love, if we love, with the kind of love that Jesus would love with, there is no hurting person that we should ever mock, shun, insult, or sneer at. Just in case you weren't paying attention, I'm going to say it one more time. If we love like Jesus loved and loves, there's no hurting person that we should ever mock, shun, insult, or sneer at. He is determined to pursue every person to whom he has died for. And if this is not the Jesus, if, if you're here maybe today or you're watching online and some, what I'm saying, this is not the Jesus you've heard of, I am so sorry for any previous religious experience that you have had that that has not been the focal point of the message because that is the love that I read about in his word. And for the next two weeks, we're going to deal with a sensitive yet relevant cultural topic. But the love of Christ has got to be the place that we start. And if you want to dive deeper into this topic, there's a book I suggest entitled God and the Transgender Debate by Andrew Walker. Because for the next two weeks, I'm going to speak on God's voice in the transgender discussion. Now, again, if... You say, why? This ain't a church topic. I would very much argue that it is. And anywhere there's a voice in society, there should also be a voice in the church, in the pulpit. And so would you pray with me? Because I guarantee you, when you deal with topics that are countercultural, you also deal with a spiritual realm. Jesus, we love you. Lord, your word's powerful. God, help me to speak your word with love and kindness, compassion, clarity, anointing, wisdom, and direction. Lord, help your word to come to life, Lord, for every person here, every person watching online, anyone who may share this link via social media, YouTube, whatever it is. Lord, God, let your word still be powerful even when it's watched at a later date. Lord, help something, Lord Jesus, that is said and spoken today through me as a vessel to bring clarity, Lord, to lives and hearts and minds in this, in this world. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen, amen. So I considered teaching this on a Wednesday instead of a Sunday. It felt well, maybe even more suited for a Wednesday. But a few of our youth actually said something to me, and they said, you need to cover this on Sunday because we're downstairs on Wednesdays, and we're the ones who deal with this more than anyone. I think I need to listen to the voices of our next generation. I respect them. And for those of us who are a little older, maybe we've heard of someone who's transgender, but there's a chance that maybe you've never 
personally interacted with someone that says that. And so unfortunately, the church as a whole sometimes, we tend, I hate to say it, but we tend at times to play catch up with culture. Meaning culture changes and then we tend to address things that have been around for like 10 years too late. And already we're behind in the discussion. I'm not talking about something that you don't know about. This is already happening. And so I believe it's important that God has a voice in this discussion. The shattering velocity of moral change is one of the most shocking developments of our time. An entire moral order is collapsing, and a new moral order is being put in its place. None of this is by accident. Every, every dimension is part of a, a comprehensive revolt against creation itself. The transgender res, res, uh, revolution has now it's reached a critical stage, and it now touches virtually every dimension of society. The creators of entertainment are rushing to include transgender characters and actors in their productions. School systems in the U.S. now feature gender identity as part of the curriculum for health education. Just today, I saw a homeschool post that there is an app that they use for learning other languages, and the app is now talking about using gender-inclusive language even in homeschool curriculum. And so... Premise, this is all premised on the claim that even young children can now announce their identity. Within the last few years, a European nation is now authorizing children as young as four years old to debate and demand a new gender identity, all without requiring the knowledge or permission from parents. Four. Arenas in the sporting world are now the focus of who can can and cannot compete in women's sporting teams. Biological males are now being celebrated as female athletes. And those who dare to protest are dismissed as fundamentalists or bigots. We can go ahead and we can bury our heads in the sand and just talk about the goodness of God this morning and just have good church and pretend that this doesn't exist. But I would rather deal with it head on. I would rather address this with love as what scripture says. Psalm 103 says, 100 verse, the, well, Psalm itself doesn't have verses, but we're going to say verse 3, but Psalm 103. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. So God made us. Now, you can go ahead and say, I'm not a Bible believer. Well, you picked an interesting place to spend your Sunday afternoon. But we are going to move forward with the premise that the Bible is the Word of God. It is the inspired, infallible Word of God. If God made us, then He has a right in the fact of us being man or woman if we believe the Bible's God's Word. So, but I want to take some time today to look at how we got here. This is not going to be just a a two-week series on bashing a number of different sins. That's not what we're doing. We want to take an educated look at how we got to this place, what, what, what has taken us here in culture and society, and what is God saying in this discussion. You might remember the moment you first heard that Bruce Jenner didn't want to be Bruce anymore. 
It was 2015 when Jenner, who was an Olympic champion, an American hero, and stepfather to the famous, or should I say, infamous, Kardashian family. He was interviewed by journalist Diane Sawyer about his experience as a man who had long lived with a deep secret. All his life, though revered as a model of athleticism and masculinity, Bruce Jenner believed that he was really a woman. He defined himself as being transgender. And so fast forward a few months later, and Bruce Jenner made a surprise experience, or a surprise appearance on the cover of Vanity Fair magazine. He was wearing lingerie and posing provocatively on a bar stool. Hands were tucked behind his back, which I'll cover more next week. This was introduced to men, women, and children across the grocery store checkout aisles. And the front cover said, call me Caitlin. The message was born, or at least reinforced or celebrated, that men can become women if they feel or perceive themselves to be woman or vice versa. Transgenderism had been a topic that barely registered on people's radars. But now, quite suddenly in 2015, gender identity became the most fashionable social justice issue of our day. 2015 seems like a really long time ago, but it was just eight years ago. Today, Facebook offers more than 50 gender options to its members. Debates about restroom usage you'll find run rampant at social media at times. States are starting to find citizens who fail to use the preferred pronouns of their transgender citizens. And many of you in the KC Metro, I, I know and have heard that you have attended mandatory job training about pronoun use at your place of employment. It's begged, it begs questions to us like, can a man become a woman? Can a woman become a man? How and what should children be confronted with when it comes to debates about gender? What are we to do with children? And again, if you're here and you're like, I wish my youth didn't hear this. Um, I apologize if I have offended you by addressing this, but I can assure you that your youth are well aware of this topic. Now, I would not have done this on Family Wednesday without talking to parents first, because I think children, that's going to be up to you as parents, but even then, I would say that your kids probably, maybe, maybe not all the nuances of it, but they're probably familiar with this in our world, unfortunately. And so... Uh, what are we to do with children who are a member of one biological sex but feel as though they were born in the wrong body? What do we say to someone experiencing these feelings? How do we love people who are deeply hurting? How do we offer hope? I think we have to first go, well, how did we get here? It's not something that randomly popped on the scene last night. It didn't even start with Bruce Jenner or Caitlyn. Okay, it didn't start there. There's something called relativism. And relativism says meaning and truth are relative. That what is right for one person may be wrong for another person. Simply stated, there is no absolute truth for anyone. Truth is always relative to the person and their circumstance. This mindset leads to post-Christendom, 
by almost all accounts and statistics. Why? Because Christians will say, no, there is absolute truth. Christians will say, the word of God is absolute truth. But that absolute truth, Christian thinking does not blend with relativism. So it leads to to post-Christendom, which by almost all accounts and statistics, Christianity as a whole is in decline in the Western world, which is where we are. It's hard to measure the decline at times, but for the most part, Christianity as a whole is losing cultural influence. Now, I am happy to say that the United Pentecostal Church International is still one of the fastest growing religions in the world. So when I say Christianity, that's just Christian religions in general. But I believe that we, as the United Pentecostal Church International, are still growing worldwide because there are still people looking for absolute truth. But as a whole in our nation, there are fewer people attending church. There's growing biblical illiteracy. And because of this, moral and ethical systems are now being established by other forms of reading and entertainment, things other than Scripture. And so one of the last... Uh, over the last generation, there have been, uh, there's been a growing acceptance of gay and, and lesbian relationships. We've seen declining marriage rates and rising divorce rates. And many people are living together uh, instead of or before marrying. And so let's face it, okay, if we talk through these topics, all these social changes can only be taken place in a context where Christian ways of understanding the world are either optional, irrelevant, hateful, or bigoted. Because scripture clearly teaches against some of the things that we are seeing as as norms in society. So to, to reconcile that, we either have to start to say, I don't believe the Bible, or I only believe parts of the Bible, or the Bible's not culturally relevant today, for today, and we start to kind of slide into relativism, where, you know what, there's not, this is not absolute. Now, I, I, I adhere to some of the truth, but it's not absolute truth for my life. And so we have to try to go like that. For me, I choose to still say in 2023, the Bible remains absolute truth. Society has aimed to make this statement a reality. You should stand for what you believe in. Unless, of course, what you believe in is different than someone else who's willing to be more vocal about it. It's impossible for any society to not have some kind of morality. No matter what, society will always have some kind of morality. The question is, what morality is going to reign supreme? The passing of one moral framework means that another one must take its place. The nation was founded, whether or not you agree, it's the truth. This nation was founded on the word of God. But it appears that society as a whole has shifted just a little bit from that. And so we're seeing a secular framework now take its place. Now I want to define secular. Secular means denoting attitudes, activities, or other things that have no religious or spiritual basis. That's where we're we're shifting as as a society. 
And this, put, this puts Bible believers on the wrong side of secular culture. Which means that if we're going to live a life that adheres to Scripture and say, I'm going to preach this and, and live this and teach this and embrace this, then you will be forced to choose to live your life counter-cultural. Meaning, culture's going this way, and you are going to be, you ever, you ever try, you ever get stuck in a crowd and like you're, you know, okay, we're heading toward the gates, and, and, the, and the theme park's closing, and you realize you set something down, you got to run back and get it, and you're completely walking against the entire crowd of people that's coming this way. Has anyone ever done this? Maybe you've been to a camp or a conference, forgot your purse on the pew, and you're like, That's kind of what it's going to be like in the last days of living for God. That it's going to be much easier to just go, forget it. I'll get a different purse. I'm just going to go because, like, that's a fight. You know, not a fight like, I'm going to start whooping you. No, but, like, it's a, it's a fight to go against to get to where I feel God's calling me to be. And so... What morality and framework will rule you and your house? Then comes the sexual revolution of the 1960s. Anybody willing to admit that they were around in the 1960s? Good, good. I was not. Um, but the popular idea that came from my studies, my research, and talking to people who were is, if it feels good, do it. The upheaval of the sexual revolution taught that our bodies are not our, our bodies are our own, they're our own. I mean, nobody can tell me what to do. This is my body, my mind. I'm going to do what I want to do. Nobody's going to tell me what to do with my body. And so I will use my body to enjoy whatever I want. That's the mindset that really come to arise. It really came to arise in Genesis. But it really came to arise in the 60s. But that mindset goes completely against what the Apostle Paul said. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19, he says, Don't you realize your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. That's not a popular, that's a countercultural message. Imagine getting up at Woodstock and going, Your bodies aren't your own. It probably wouldn't have gone over well. And so... He says, you don't belong to yourself. He says, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God, not just honor God, but honor God with your body. So here's what happens. One morality will rule your life. We cannot live with secular morals and biblical morals. And I know, even this, it's countercultural. I, I would love to say that 
the a couple hundred of people that are here today that will watch online, people will share the link of this is great, great message. But I know that I'm going to leave today and there's going to be maybe one or two or three people that post online about how they disagree with this message, that this and this. I'm not doing it to, to I want everything to be done in love. But just because culture is headed one direction, I can't be afraid to stand up and say, well, what does the Bible still say about a topic in the fear that too many people are coming this way? And so people in times before definitely engaged in premarital sex that didn't start in the 60s. But there was always a chance for pregnancy to occur. And that was enough at times for people to just be a little afraid and respect the process. Not anymore. In the 1960s, industrial contraception was introduced. This had enormous repercussions for how society would think about the purpose of sex. And sex is no longer assumed to be taking place in the protection of sanctity of marriage, which is what God spells out in his word. Let's go ahead and deal with another countercultural issue. This isn't just homosexuality or transgenderism. Heterosexual sex outside of marriage is sin, according to Scripture. I might as well just deal with all of it at the same time. If somebody's going to hate me, let's just get it all out the way. Gender's not a new word, but gender does not mean what it used to mean in our world. There are several ways to think about a person's sex. Sex can refer to a biological makeup or composition. Men have XY chromosomes. Women have XX chromosomes. If you want more science, that's probably about the basis of what I know. And I'm certainly not going to try and go any further because we have like 94 nurses in this church. But there are hormonal, anatomical, reproductive differences between men and women that result from chromosomal difference. From our bodies down to our cells, the biological sex, those born from men and women, they are, they are different. Men, for example, tend to have, now, of course, there's, there's some things that, you know, you'll, you, there's, there's, what's the word I'm looking for? I can't even think of the word. Exceptions, thank you, whoever. Nobody said that. Somebody said that. Thank you. Can you speak louder next time? Um, there are exceptions to the rule, but typically men will have broader shoulders than women. Women tend to have wider hips and be shorter. According to the APA, American Psychological Association, gender has always referred to the, and I quote, attitudes, feelings, and behaviors that a given culture associates with a person's biological sex. Behavior that is compatible with cultural expectations is referred to as gender normative. Behaviors that are viewed as incompatible with these expectations constitute gender nonconformity. I do believe that I heard they're trying to or have adapted this statement because now society's attempting to rewrite science to fit the narrative. Here's the basic principle based on science. If your sex is female, your gender is female. If your sex is male, your gender is male. This is not a religious statement. This is a scientific fact. 
Now, I will say this. All of us have gender identity. Some people feel their gender identity does not match their biological sex. When someone experiences distress, inner anguish, or discomfort from sensing a conflict between their gender identity and their biological sex, that person is experiencing gender dysphoria. This is a mismatch between the biological sex and the gender that they feel themselves to be. It's important to understand, and this is where I want to say this as a church, because we have to have compassion. Even if we disagree with someone, it's not just this, it's any sin in the world, we have to have compassion for what someone's dealing with. To just go, oh, it's just ridiculous. It's not ridiculous. This is a genuine experience. It's a real thing that someone's dealing with. And so people with gender dysphoria, they have an experience like their body is lying to them. A person in this situation really thinks that he or she or should be, is or should be, or feel better as the gender opposite to their biological sex, or no gender at all. But there's a key thing to remember for them, for us, for anyone, is that that feeling is just that. It's a feeling. This is no true disconnect. It may feel real, but it's only an apparent disconnect. God created every person according to his plan. And what we do read from the first book of the Bible, Genesis 1.27, he says, God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God created he them, male and female, Created he them. He did not list 50. He said he created us male and female. And so God blessed them and he said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. And he gives them dominion. God created humanity. He divides us into male and to female. He says, be fruitful and multiply. And that's no disrespect to anyone who's transgender, homosexual. But God's plan for reproduction is one man and one woman. So Apple can come up with new emojis if they want, but it still doesn't change God's plan. And when human beings have children, life and conception are given by God and God alone. Jeremiah 1.5, listen to some of these. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart, appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Psalm 139.16, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Isaiah 49, 5, the Lord speaks, the one who formed me in my mother's womb to be his servant, who commissioned me to bring Israel back to him. The Lord has honored me. My God has given me strength. New Testament, Galatians 1, 15, but even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. It pleased him. Psalm 139, 13, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body, knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your work is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. So why don't I just go ahead and keep dealing with it? This is also why we will never preach, no matter what culture says, that abortion is okay. God created you. 
He knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. Society might be trying to rewrite science, and science has at times aimed to rewrite scripture, but the Bible is still the source of absolute truth. Just because a group of people shout something loud enough and long enough does not shift something from being true to being false. No matter what anyone says, God did not create any human being to be something that automatically goes against what he has planned and laid out in his scripture, in his word. Since the book of Genesis, the devil said, hath God said, hath God said. And so with that, the devil introduced us to his main weapon against humanity. You know what that weapon was and is? Confusion. Confusion. And here we are in 2023. Oh, Eve took the fruit and she gave it to her husband. And Adam, he did eat. The attack is no longer about fruit. It never was about fruit. Well, they were really, man, that must have looked really good. He really tempted with the fruit and she ate it and he gave it to him. And he ate it and it was, oh, man, that fruit would have been, that was the one tree they weren't supposed to eat from. It's about the fruit. It was never about the fruit. It was always about causing confusion. For sin to have its way in our lives, there ha God's word speaks with clarity. God, God did not just go, hey, when you're going through the garden, just be careful in that area. That's not what he did. He said, see that tree, that is a tree. Do not eat from that tree. You can eat from all of the other trees. You cannot eat from that tree. So they said, hey, let's go eat from that tree. Sounds like our kids sometimes, right? Not you guys, just the littler ones. Why? Because there has to be confusion. There has to be something that goes, it's not about the fruit. It's about the fact that when he speaks in his word, you come to today. And he says, if you do this, here's my plan for your salvation. If you do this, you will be accepted. If you do this, heaven is on the horizon. If you do these things, these are works of the flesh, and you will die. Okay, even in the New Testament, there's such clarity in the word of God. So for sin to be present, there has to be either a direct choice to where, but, but this, most people don't do this. If you're a Bible believer, certainly you don't do this. You don't look at the scripture and go, you know what? Forget it. I don't care about God. I don't care about his word. I'm going to go completely against his word and I'm going to flip a coin and hope that I'm on the right side. Like people don't do that. It has to start with, is that really necessary? Is that really God's will? Is it really God's plan? Is God really going to do anything if I don't do it that way? Is it really that big of a deal? And so there has to be confusion that starts to set in. And at some point, we have to start to entertain a conversation that either his word's not true, or it's not really for me, or there's not really consequences to not following it. The devil has to first get us to question God's word. The beginning of time, he gets Adam and Eve to go, oh, hath God said, hmm, let me think, oh, oh, yeah, I'm not sure. Let me try to somehow reason away what God has just clearly spoken to me. And it's the same way here today, that for Christians to fall, to walk away from God, at some point we have to, we have to move away from the word of God because the word of God has too much clarity. 
It's too powerful. It's alive. It's quick, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the divider and asunder of soul and spirit, to the joints, the marrow. That, that, it just it cuts to, it, it changes the core of who we are. So in order for us to change the core of who we are, we have to walk away from that powerful thing and say, I'm either walking away totally or I'm going to start to say, well, that one, that doesn't matter. That's not that big of a deal. That was for their society, not ours. No. The word of God is still absolute truth in 2023. Even when people say different. And so I'm not here to win an argument or a debate. I certainly know that. That's not our attention. If, if, if we walk in and we're like, oh, yeah, we proved that person or that sect of people or the people dealing with that struggle or that sin or living that way, we could debate them all day long. We'll win. This is not the goal. This is not, this is not the goal. I talked about, a, I, I I've just mentioned in passing, I mentioned abortion. I pray to God that the church is filled with people who've had abortions. Now, understand the context of what I'm saying. I hope that there are people who, before walking with God and understanding his plan for their life, can come in and find a place of healing. I pray that the church always has people that struggle with alcohol. I pray to God that they're starting to, we have rows of people who are homosexual or transgenders. I mean, like, get that in your mind. Like, don't, we say that and we're like, well, really? Like, why not? What in the world? We're trying to reach the world. And I'll even, man, should I go here? Transgender person walks into this church and gives me a female name when I clearly see that they're a male. I'm going to call them by their female name. I know. You might be going, oh, what? But that'd be like somebody coming in and say, I don't struggle with alcohol. I'm not going to go, well, yes, you do. I can smell alcohol in your breath. Because that's a really effective method of reaching people. So why am I going to do something that... 100% completely offends somebody the minute, the minute they walk in the door. If they say, my name is a female name, and I look at them, man, that's clearly a male, I'm going to call them by the name they told me that their name is. Why? Because I want them to sit here long enough to feel the presence and power of Jesus Christ. Just like I want... Anybody living in any type of sin in this entire world, I pray refuge is truly that. It's a, it's a refuge. It's a safe place. No matter what you're struggling with, dealing with, no matter, what, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what burden you're carrying, no matter what, what has happened, is happening, that this is a place that anybody can walk in and everyone will come up and say, it is great to see you. We are honored to have you. It doesn't matter what you look like, smell like, what you're partaking in. It doesn't matter the way you're dressed. It doesn't matter what you said you, you did yesterday. Like This is a place, come here because God is alive and he's powerful and he's in this place.
people who identify as transgender, and I'm not going to be much longer, report disproportionately higher rates of mental health problems than the rest of the general population. This includes depression, suicide, thoughts of suicide. There's not a lot of research, and if there is, it's not being discussed very much. Do you know, I just recently read last week, there was supposed to be a big documentary coming out about a group of people detransitioning. So transition didn't go the way they wanted it to, detransitioning back to the gender that they first where they were born with. And about the agony that happened in, in making that choice. Because you think about it, when God made your cells and your DNA a certain way, you can't alter that. And groups, the trans, a lot of transgender groups got very loud and boisterous and very, very in front of people saying, this is not, no. And they canceled. They canceled the, the documentary about detransitioning. Because that is not something we want to discuss in society. But the truth of the matter is, it's not even just a religious thing for your body, for your mind. It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's, not, it's not just God's plan, but it's not scientifically a good plan. But I'm not aiming to cause greater pain to someone who claims to be transgender. What we must remember, and what I remember is, these are real people. These are real people. This is someone's son or daughter. Someone's brother or sister. This is affecting families. It's affecting people's lives. Right now, for some people in the United States of America and in the world, this is the, the biggest thing. This is the only thing that they're thinking about right now because they're walking through something like this. And it's not going to help for a church person to just go, well, bless God, God created now. People just, they need to feel love from us. But then why would you talk about this? Because the church has to understand that what you stand for and believe and preach is, is at times very much going to be countercultural. Don't just go, well, I guess, whatever, it's easier to go this way. It is easier to follow culture than to go countercultural. But what society wants to paint a picture of to so the church sometimes is that if you go countercultural, it means that you're a bigot and you're hateful and you're spiteful and all this stuff. Don't let anybody put that box around you either because there's a way to go countercultural and still love people. <laughs> we will look more closely at this topic next Sunday. I just, I want so bad for our church to be a place of refuge for everyone. Why? Because God died for everybody. I can't, could you imagine? Jesus Christ, instead of walking the streets of Jerusalem, walking the streets of downtown Kansas City, 
We read stories in Jerusalem. They brought him people who couldn't walk, who couldn't see, who were deaf. They brought him people who were dead. They brought him people who were up in trees. Who were, I mean, like they, they brought him all these little women with an issue of blood. They brought him all these people. I doubt that Jesus would get to 2023 and a transgender person would come to him and go, I'm hurting. And Jesus would go, what? Ew. Get out of here. There's no chance. Jesus said, what's your name? Come and have a seat, just like he did to a Samaritan woman who was absolutely appalling in that day. He shouldn't have been talking to her as a man to a woman. He shouldn't have been talking to her as a Jew to a Samaritan. And he stopped in the middle of the day and said, have a seat next to me. Because I want to talk to you about where you're at. And she didn't walk away going, wow, he judged me for where I was. He told her what she was going through, but she obviously felt such love from him. That's where the church, we can't fail. We can't fail in not standing for truth. We've got to stand for truth. But if we stand for truth and we skip love, we're like a clanging symbol, Paul says. So I'm going to stand for truth, and it's going to be countercultural. It's going to be hard at times. But I want to be willing to sit down to every person if they got alcohol in their breath, if they just came from an abortion clinic, if they're looking at porn, if they're transgender, if they're heterosexual sex outside of marriage, whatever it is. I want to sit next to anybody and go, you know what? God loves you. God loves you. And he knows where you're at. And if you'll let him, he will change your life. God loves you. That's the message of hope that we have to preach. And if you're here and you're struggling with anything, you remember this. There is no person on planet earth for whom Jesus Christ did not die. There's nobody, no matter what, no matter where they live, look like, what they've done, what they've told you, how they treat you, how they act, how they treat others. There's no human being anywhere in this world for which Jesus Christ did not die for that person. And so if you're here today, maybe it's not even this topic, but if you're here and you're struggling with something, man, when I walked in here today, I felt such a lack of hope felt that and I knew it was coming because I'm wrapping up I'm, I'm, I'm almost done but I knew it was coming because this last week in my hotel room in St. Louis before my family got there I've heard these stories it hasn't really happened to me before but it happened this week you know how a hotel door you hear the, the metal latches you can't open a hotel door quietly anyone ever stay in a hotel you can try and sneak out and those metal goes like it, it, that, that metal, and that was a terrible sound impression, but you know what I'm trying to say. It hits that metal frame and it locks into that latch. You can't, you can't be quiet in a hotel room. I was thinking about this message because this message has been on my heart for six months. And I've been praying, God, when do you want to say it? When do you want to speak? And I've been praying fast and thinking about this because I know this is sensitive stuff. And I never want anybody to feel isolated or, or anything. Because like the prophecy was, God's going to call this church to reach the LGBTQIA plus community, and I want to. I want to reach, there's no community I don't want to reach. I was praying about this, and 
just started to doze off in my room. I had worked late, getting ready for a meeting with the district board. It was probably 2.30 in the morning. I had dozed off. And I jumped because the door opened. And I thought, man, my wife, she's coming to surprise me with the kids. They drove after church. Or I think it might have been maybe Wednesday night. Because I'm thinking maybe she came and, and she's then sat up. There's nobody. I guarantee I heard that door. felt a presence in the room, an evil presence. And I was just like, wow, I've heard this happening. I haven't had this happen to me yet. Didn't see anything. The room was pitch black, but I felt it. And immediately I just felt a hopelessness. Why are you going to preach something? Ain't nobody changing. It's just going to cause problems for you, for the church. You're dealing with things that can't be changed. I was tired. I had a meeting in the morning. I did not jump up and go, I'll come against you in the name. I literally went, I'm going to stand on the word of God. Feel free to stay if you'd like. I'm going back to sleep. I laid my head back on that pillow and went right back to sleep. Because to me, that spirit, is going to try to make you feel like whatever you're dealing with, there's no hope. You can't change. I'm not just talking about transgender stuff. I'm talking about anything. The people who walked in here with stuff, you've been struggling with the same thing over and over. And the enemy's trying to go, might as well just give up. Why go to the altar today? It's just going to be the same thing when you leave. It's been the same thing for the last 10, 20 years. Who are you fooling? There's no hope for you. Not for that situation, at least. So just go. Why even go back to the church? Or you know what? Go to the church, but you might not, don't go up there. Why even go up there? Nothing happens up there. All you do is cry and just pick the same stuff back up. That enemy is trying to make you feel hopeless. But this is where you have a choice to make. Whose word will you stand on? Whose word will you stand on? Sometimes I've caught myself praying the prayer, Oh God, I pray, just deliver me from this, Jesus. And almost every time I pray that, God instantly speaks to me and goes, I already have. When he died on that cross, there's nothing for which he has not delivered you from. But now we've started to allow things in the mind and in the heart we've learned behaviors and we've had things begin to happen in our lives that we turn to when things are tough or lonely and, and we started picking up some things that now it's, it's the, God's already took care of that. But you gotta renew that strength and go, you ain't gonna keep me from an altar. Like I did, you just put your head back on that pillow and say, Stick around if you want. I ain't listening to you anyway. I'm standing on the word of God and I'm going and I'm resting in him. My peace, my security, my safety, it's in him. And so if you're here today and you're like, man, I'm, I'm finding hopelessness a little bit for things I've been going through and, and for some stuff in my own life or my, I'm dealing with things with my kids or I'm dealing with things with my family or on my job. Don't, don't be hopeless today. God is the one who has 
delivered, set free, sanctified. He's paid his pr that price on the cross. He shed his blood. There is no sin in humanity that is just too big, just too strong, just too deep that he can't do, he can't fix, he can't deliver, he can't set free, he can't turn around. And so I invite you today to find a place to pray, to just come to the front and just, just find a place to pray. Maybe you know somebody who's going through something I've talked about. Begin to pray for that person. If it's you and you're feeling and fighting some things, God can touch you right now. Don't leave this place without hope. Jesus Christ loves you. He died for you. He knew you when you were formed in your mother's womb. This church loves you. Darkness